You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Good Wednesday, everybody. Hope you are doing well on this first week of a how long we don't know isolation situations. Whether you're isolated, you're quarantined, you're hiding, whatever, you're probably alone or nearly alone this week. I know uh, we are holed up in the house for a little while. Kids are on spring break, which we found out yesterday is permanent uh, as they will not be going back to school in light of the coronavirus. Um, so we're trying to figure out what that normal is. Actually, I'm grateful that we got that news at the beginning of spring break because that gives us a little time to figure out what school is going to look like. But we are uh, we're moving along and we're making it. I hope you are doing well. We've been gathering for uh, prayer and fasting with some friends for a couple of weeks. And so this came at a timely moment. I feel like uh, the Lord's kind of been preparing our hearts. We've been doing some Zoom prayer meetings in the evenings, which have been uh, really fun with people uh, across the community, and doing some more of those. And in the light of all that, I thought, you know, we probably probably don't need a normal podcast. I just don't know that that's what the world is looking for. You probably don't need more information about the coronavirus because you're looking at the same websites that I'm looking at. So what could we do this week would be just a little bit different. We'll get back to the normal podcast, but what can we do just a little bit different? This is where I landed. We're going to pick up a Q&A that I started last night on Instagram and answer a couple of questions, and then just a short thought from Scripture, and we are going to be on our way. I'm recording this from a new studio. I don't know if you can tell from the audio, but it's different. Um, this new studio looks suspiciously like our master bedroom closet, because it is the quietest place in the house as compared to our home office and what that. So I am uh, kind of tucked away here. I kind of like it, actually. I've got the door shut, and I'm talking to myself. So it's like it's like a regular day for me. Anyway, Q&A from Instagram last night. Let's start it off. Number one, Rachel Ingle asked, do you miss selling items out of the back of your trunk? Now, she's referring to something that happened a long, long time ago, Rachel, and I, I don't do that anymore, so I'm not going to answer any more of those questions. Uh, let's see, next question. Anna Blanc. Anna Blanc. I'm sorry, Anna, Anna, I'm really embarrassed. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Blanc, I have figured out, but I, I'm like self-conscious about getting it wrong. I'm going to say Anna Gosh, I feel bad because I've known you for years. Anyway, Ms. Blanc asks me, what book should I read next? This is an intimidating question from her because she is a voracious reader, and I've seen her stacks of books, and I feel a little unqualified to make recommendations on what she should read. This is a little bit like cooking for my friend Ben Wood, which I've never done either uh, because Ben is a chef, and so I feel a little bit like, why try? But, um, okay, I came up with a couple of recommendations, maybe five. Maybe these will help. Uh, one I would encourage you to read is called The Gift by Lewis Hyde. The Gift by Lewis Hyde. It is a weird little book by a weird little man. Lewis was a, uh, was a poet and the director of creative writing at Harvard, which I don't really think of as a bastion of creative writing, but he was directing it there. 
And uh, The Gift is a book that came out, I want to say in the early 80s, about what he would call the gift economy um, or the nature of generosity or of giving. Now, he's not, a, uh, he's not a Christian. It's not coming from a position of faith at all, but it has a lot to say about generosity and the nature of giving. Now, if you look for this book on Amazon, it's going to wig you out a little bit because, as I can tell, he's published three versions of it. There's the original version that was just called The Gift. There is another one called... Uh, the Gift, Creativity and the Artist in the Modern World. Uh, there is another one called The Gift, How to, the Creative Spirit Transforms the World. And then there was yet another variation of the exact same book. All these books are the same, uh, called The Gift, Imagination and the Erotic Life of Property. Now, I would not carry that last one around. I would not go and sit in a public place and read a book called Imagination and the Erotic Life of Property. I am kind of tied to the original title of just The Gift. But super, super interesting, uh, fun, antidotal book about giving. He also wrote a book called Trickster Makes This World about mischief and myth and art. Um, And it's kind of whimsical, and uh, it's a fun read. Lewis Hyde, The Gift. Another one, and I think you probably have already read this, Undaunted Courage by Stephen Ambrose. It's the story of Lewis and Clark. It is an epic story on its own. Nobody tells a story like Stephen Ambrose. It is fantastic if you haven't read it. Another one, Hunting Eichmann by Neil Bascom. It's a a story of how the Israeli agents tracked down Adolf Eichmann in Brazil, like 15 years after World War II. Very interesting, particularly if you like that period of history, Hunting Eichmann by Neil Bascombe. Another one, if you are interested in kind of recent church history, The Quest for the Radical Middle by Bill Jackson. It's the history of the vineyard movement. And uh, you go, I I don't go to the vineyard. Why would I want to? You would want to read this because it talks about the wrestling between the charismatic love for the spirit and the evangelical love for the word and how those two come together and how you can embrace both. History of the Vineyard called The Quest for the Radical Middle. Highly, highly recommend it for for pastors or, or just believers in general and how we wrestle with that. Uh, Two more. Preston Sprinkle's book, People to be Loved. It is a really well thought out perspective on same-sex attraction and all things LGBTQ. Uh, I agree with Preston Sprinkle on almost everything he says, and I might be wrong about the things that I disagree with him about. I'm not totally convinced that I'm right, but it is really good reading. It's very loving. It's uh, very forthright. He wrestles with a lot of hard issues, with an honest heart. And I have much respect for Preston Sprinkle, people to be loved. Finally, one last uh, from a hometown boy, Joel Richardson, friend of ours, The Mystery of Catastrophe. And this is about finding God's purposes in catastrophic times. Not a bad book to read right now. The Mystery of Catastrophe by Joel Richardson. Those are uh, things that I would look into reading. Uh, Let's see, uh, next question. Nia Set Free asks, what is my favorite book of all time besides the Bible? Thank you for giving me the benefit of the doubt that I would say the Bible no matter what. Uh, put the Bible aside. Oh boy, how do you pick a favorite book? It's like picking a favorite child, which some days I could do, but it, it'd be hard, you know. Uh, all things being equal, if I've got the Bible already, um, I think potentially Lewis Hyde's The Gift or uh, I and Thou by Martin Buber which is a uh, book on philosophy, which is incredibly hard to read. You read it the rest of your life, never fully understand it, but it's engaging. So those are probably my, uh, my two favorites. So let's see, next question. Stephen Brock asks me, 
when are you bringing back the soul patch? So you see, here's the deal. For a long time, I had a soul patch. Everybody who could grow one did. But I am a style dispensationalist, meaning that era has ended. We no longer live in the era of the soul patch, and so it's not coming back. And if it does come back, I'm still going to say no. And this is why. Because I heard somebody say that if a trend that you participated in as a younger person comes back around, and they all do, you've, you've seen it. If it comes back around, if you participated the first time, you have to let it pass the second time. You cannot participate in a trend twice, like 40 years apart. That's just, it's bad. You do not do that. So it's gone, uh, but thank you for your deep concern, Stephen. Um, it is duly noted in the books of history. Next question, please. Let's see. Uh, Leoriel0408 on Instagram asks me, how do I join the prayer group? Uh, and what she's talking about there is these Zoom prayer meetings we've been doing. We were doing them live until the cataclysm, and now we are doing them. We're doing them live, but we're doing them online. Uh, we are doing one tonight, one tomorrow night. This is Wednesday and Thursday if you're listening to it later. Then we're gathering on Sundays as well. If you uh, direct message me on social media, Instagram or Twitter, direct message me. I will send you a link and uh, boom, you can jump in. Uh, I'm not on Facebook, so you can't find me there. Keep looking. You will not find me anywhere. But Instagram, Twitter, direct message. I'll send you a link. There we go. Next question. Kim Flint asks, who came up with the puppy idea? Well, see, Kim, the Lord created all the animals. And so I suspect that he came up with the puppy idea originally. Now, it could be you mean whose idea was it for us to get a puppy. Yeah, that's a whole different deal. And it's hard to explain. Uh, we kind of got there as a group. Um, of course, Kelsey and I got there last we were thinking dog, thinking full-grown dog, and then Kelsey saw a picture of a puppy and the wheels fell off. And so we ended up with a puppy, and it actually has been great. You know, um, been kind of a been kind of a rough season for the kids over Christmas, and this has been cheaper than therapy by quite a bit, and we have enjoyed her immensely. So I don't, I really know. I we take turns blaming one another for the puppy, but we kind of got there together. Next question. Rebecca DeVincenzi asks if I would tell my funniest story because we have time. It doesn't work that way, Rebecca. I just can I don't have a favorite. It's I don't I the story has got to reflect the moment. You got to be feeling it. I don't know. It's very hard for me to think that way. But what I did do is I went and dug out a book I read or read. I read it too, but I wrote it years ago called Jesus Killed My Church. And I thought, maybe there's a story in here that I have not told for a while. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read that directly from Jesus Killed My Church. Now, here's the setting, is we are church planting, and we are at the very beginning of church planting. And so um, let me just start out here. In preparing to move to Ohio, we prayed about a church name. We knew what we wanted to convey, the idea that life in the Spirit knew no bounds. We wanted to build a church that taught people things on Sunday morning, that they lived out and used on Tuesday afternoon. We wanted to erase the conception of church life and normal life as being separate. We eventually settled on the name spirit life, using no space between the words to signify the unity of the idea. So on my paperwork to the denomination, I wrote spirit life. In my emails to leaders, I wrote spirit life. During my phone calls, I said spirit life. On my first quarterly review, 
about the time our small group was just getting started to meet, I gathered with several denominational leaders from a district office. They smiled through a brief presentation and followed up with the statement, not a question. Let's talk about what you're going to name the church, the ringleader said. I was confused. We already named the church. It's Spirit Life. They smiled and nodded. Over the years, I learned that smiling and nodding was what they did before they told you no. We understand that you have used that as sort of a working title, but now that you're becoming official, we had another name in mind. With that, they announced their choice of a church name. It has two parts. The first part was the name of the suburb. The second part was the name of the denomination. Now keep in mind, I had no beef with the denomination. I was a product of the denomination. At the same time, branding this new congregation with a term that meant little to any of them and nothing to the community sounded like a bad idea from the get-go. I pressed back. I want to stick with the spirit life. They smiled and nodded. We understand. But if this is going to be a part of our fellowship, the name should reflect it. Otherwise, how will people looking for one of our churches find you? The phrase, one of our churches, made me slightly ill. I hear you, I said. I hear you was my equivalent of their smiling and nodding. However, I am not primarily interested in people moving from one of the fellowship's churches to another. I'm looking to build a church for people who have no clue who you are and wouldn't care if they did. More nods. Fewer smiles. I go so far as to say an awkward silence. Finally, one of them spoke up. Brother Bolender, he began. I knew things had shifted. I'd been Randy a few minutes ago. We were well on our way to Reverend, or the formerly Reverend at this point. Brother Bolender, we feel quite strongly about this name, but we're open. Perhaps you should spend some time in prayer to see what the Spirit says. I agreed. In fact, I didn't just agree. I immediately bowed my head and prayed out loud. After my best audible two-minute prayer that God would show us the name that the church would be, I said, Amen. When I looked up, the three startled faces across from me indicated that what they had meant was I should go home, pray about it, and then renegotiate by phone. To be fair, I had already prayed about the name for a long time, so I made an announcement. I think the Lord would have us continue with the name Spirit Life. Thanks for allowing me to take it before him one more time. The meeting was over, and I was back out of my car before I realized I had inadvertently done an end run around one of the oldest stalling tactics in church history, the nebulous, let's pray about it. So that actually happened pretty much word for word as I remember. I believe, not totally sure, but I believe we're done with all of the Q&A. Let me take a look at my notes here. I believe we are. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of Psalms want to uh, just read a couple of passages from Psalms today. And again, very different podcast. It's a different week. There are no rules this week, are there? I've been binge reading the scripture the last couple of mornings, just taking time to read it slowly, dive in, cover a significant amount of ground. My mentor, Steve Shogren, used to tell his church five chapters a day keeps the pastor away. In other words, if, if you stay in the Word, uh, your life reflects it. You actually probably don't need pastoral intervention. Well, uh, America, this week the pastor is probably not coming, and so you need to dive into the Word on your own. And I would encourage you to find a place, find a time, read it read it slowly, and ask, what does this mean to me? A couple of passages I've been reading, Psalm 77, verses 16 to 20. When the waters saw you, O God, 
When the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water and the skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Get this. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. That last part of that passage talks about the mystery of how God had led the children of Israel straight through the ocean, but they didn't see his footsteps. You know, in our lives, I'm just going to tell you, we feel God leading us, but a lot of times we don't see the footsteps. We're not following a clear path. We look backward and we realize, oh my word, you were with us the entire time. Another passage I've been reading is Psalm 61, 1 through 4. Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. In the season that we're all in, you know, we do not know the future. From day to day, how many of you in the last week have woken up and gone, holy cow, can you believe where we are? We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what the rest of the day holds. But we know the position of our heart, and we can determine that. And prayers of gratitude, particularly in seasons like this, unlock our hearts and our ability to hear God. If you're angry, you're not going to hear him. Begin to thank him for all he's done, how he's led you in the past, speaking back to him the things that he has done for you and with you, and something unlocks your heart, and suddenly you're aware of his presence like you weren't before. And it takes discipline, and it takes a a stick-to-itiveness in that place of thankfulness to begin to hear him when the pressure is on. That may seem different for you, but like I said last week, normal has outlived its usefulness. The way forward is a way different, and that's true for all of us. I think we're going to realize that's very true in the church world. I think we're going to have to learn to be very flexible in our function. Inflexible in doctrine, but very flexible in function. And I think that the ways of doing church in this season, and for how long that is, who knows, this could be the new normal are going to be very different. Those that are unable to navigate that are going to struggle. They're afraid of what people are going to think if they operate outside of their lane or outside of what they've done in the past or even what they're good at. But waiting until we're good at something isn't an option anymore. He is calling us to step up and to care for one another at a level that maybe we have not done in the past. The age of specialized Christianity is coming to an end. We need wholehearted, full-hearted believers who embrace all that it means to know and follow Jesus. And that is what he is looking to you for. And that is where he's going to meet us. These are very different times. We need to live differently if we're going to make it work. Hope you have a great week. I hope that you have boundless groceries at your house. And if you don't, reach out. We would love to help. 
You need anything? Shoot us a message. We'll do our best to find what you need. Have a great day. If you want info on the prayer meetings, direct message me. We'd love to have you there.